Welcome to a brand new episode of the Drunk Discussions Podcast. On this episode, I don't have anything planned because I'm getting over the Rona. So without further ado, let's get this shit started. That is right, Ocho is back in your lives with another episode of the Drunk Discussions podcast, and I don't really have a plan for this episode, just like the last episode I didn't really have a plan for. I'm probably going to touch on a little bit of wrestling because this past weekend was WrestleMania weekend, so obviously WWE had WrestleMania, plus there were a bunch of other wrestling shows that take place over the week and weekend as well. So I'm probably going to touch on that a bit. Outside of that, I don't know what the plan is. This might be a short episode. This might only be a half hour episode. Who knows? We'll find out. But like I said off the top, I am getting over about with COVID. It's the first time that I've caught COVID since the beginning of the pandemic two years ago. So I'm thankful that I haven't caught it for the first two years. Just sucks that I caught it now. Normally, I would be recording drunk discussions on the weekend on either a Saturday or a Sunday night, but I am recording this in the middle of the week on Wednesday, April the 6th, so I'm a little behind on my recording, and that is also why I don't have anything planned, because I'm doing it short notice just so I can have an episode, and again, with COVID kicking my ass for the last week, I just didn't have anything else planned. I am, I think, finally on the tail end of COVID. I'll get into that in a second. But first of all, my drink of choice on this episode is Palm Bay. Just going for a nice, cool, refreshing vodka cooler on this episode. Palm Bay. You know what? I'm not going to say the flavor. I was going to, but I'm not going to say the flavor. I'm just going to go with Palm Bay. Hashtag sponsor me Palm Bay if you're out there and you're listening. I do enjoy Palm Bay. It's not something I drink all the time. But I do enjoy having it once in a while. Really strong choice, especially with the hotter or warmer summer months coming up here in Canada. Once again, if you're unfamiliar with this show, if this is your first time listening, the drinking game is outside of right now because I'm explaining the rules. But in time on this podcast, when I say really strong... You have to take a drink. That goes for when I have guests on the show as well. Whenever I have a guest, if they say the phrase really strong, you have to take a drink. If I end up watching a video and somebody in the video happens to say really strong, that's going to be a double drink. But drink up anytime I say really strong throughout the episode. Of course, we know a lot of people deal with alcoholism and there are a lot of people out there trying to get sober. There are a lot of people out there that just don't like alcohol to begin with. So I understand that. And if you don't drink alcoholic beverages, that's fine. You can still partake in the drinking game. Just drink whatever you happen to have in front of you. As long as, you know, it's an actual drink. Don't drink like fucking bleach or Clorox or shit like that. As long as it's actual, as long as it's an actual drink, Whatever you have in front of you, just drink whenever I say really strong. It would be really strong of you to follow the rules. And that one will be a drink. Before we get started with the show, and again, I've said this on a couple of episodes now, I'm so used to doing this podcast for so long with Sean and also doing a couple of other podcasts where I co-host with people. I'm not used to doing a podcast on my own yet, so I still refer to the show as we instead of just see, saying me or I. But let me get some plugs in for the show before we get started with it. If you're listening to the show, you've already found us, but again, <laughs> if you're if you're listening to the show, you've already found the show and I appreciate that. 
But I would appreciate it even more if you enjoy the show to let your friends know where they can find this show so that they can listen to it. And this podcast is available on most major podcasts and platforms, including but not limited to Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and of course the main source for uploading is Podbean, drunkdiscussions.podbean.com. You can find this podcast on social medias at DrunkDPodcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Or Facebook, go to facebook.com slash drunk discussions. You can also pick up some merch. Go to shop.spreadshirt.com backslash drunk discussions. I would greatly appreciate it if, if, you know, even if you don't buy some merch, at least check it out. See what we've got to offer. We've got mugs, t-shirts. I think hats are on there as well. Hoodies, a bunch of things. So feel free to check it out. Uh, If you can support the show... I am relaunching the Patreon page for it. It's not up yet, but once it is up, I will let you guys know. There is still a paypal.me for this podcast. Just go to paypal.me backslash drunk discussions. Now, with that all out of the way, again, before I get into talking about wrestling, I do just want to point out that I did recently hear from my old co-host, Sean, It's the first time I've heard from Sean since December of 2020. So it's been a year and a half since I've I've heard from Sean. And I don't want to read everything because I, I didn't get his permission to read everything. But basically... The, the gist of what he said is, you know, he, he, he burned himself out here in Toronto, which I get. I totally get. I feel burned out a lot here in Toronto as well. He, he, he does have stuff going on in his life. It, it, from, from the way he worded his message, and again, I'm not going to read it verbatim because I don't have his, I didn't get his permission to do so. I forgot to ask. But, from what, from what it sounds like in, in his message, he has a lot of stuff on his plate and he's just trying to figure out things in life like a lot of us are. And obviously, I wish nothing but the best for Sean. I absolutely love Sean. Sean is... I have quite a few friends in my life that I've known for a very long time. I, I would say I have three very good friends that I've known for... 20 plus years that I would consider to be my brothers and they're all similar in age to me. Sean is about 10 years younger than me and the couple of years that I know Sean I consider him a brother as well. Sean is like the younger brother that I never had because I'm an only child. Like I said I have close friends that I've known for 25 30 years like since we were since we were kids in in kindergarten and that I'm I'm still friends with to this day and to me they're like brothers and they've always been the brothers that I've never had again being an only child but Sean came into my life and he was definitely like a younger brother that I never had I will I will always love Sean when Sean's got himself figured out and he knows what he wants to do he has an open invitation to come on this show anytime I would love to eventually get out to Saskatchewan and, and do a podcast with Sean in person. But Sean Sean does say that he'll try to be more of a really strong friend moving forward. So take a drink on that. Well played, Sean. But he, he just needs a bit more time to figure himself out. And... Again, I absolutely get that. I I totally understand that. And Sean, take the time you need. I'm always going to be here for you, man. I I said it on your farewell episode, and I mean it. I I absolutely love you. You're you're a complete asshole, but you're you're an asshole that came into my life and, and made things a lot better for me when I was going through some dark times and some not so good times in my life. So I will I will always be grateful to you. I will always love and respect you. And like I said, any time you want to come on, you, you have an open invitation. I'm also working on trying to get Ryan back on the show. Ryan is currently living back home in Newfoundland, where he's originally from. Ryan's been on a bunch of shows early on when we first started doing this podcast. 
He's another former co-worker, much like Sean was. And I've already reached out to Ryan. He's he's He definitely wants to come back onto the podcast. And I would absolutely love to have Ryan back on. So we're just trying to figure out schedules and stuff. Uh, well, not only schedules, but with him being in Newfoundland in a different time zone, we got to figure that out as well. Much like with Sean, I would love to get out to Newfoundland and, and do a podcast with with Ryan in person. Maybe maybe this summer. Uh, I've got vacation time this summer coming up, and I haven't had any plans for it yet. Usually, usually I go down to the U.S. and do a baseball trip. Try to try to go to a different baseball stadium and and catch a catch an MLB game. I was planning on I was planning on doing Boston and and Fenway Park this year, but maybe maybe I'll just take a maybe I'll take a trip out to Newfoundland instead and and visit Ryan for for a couple of days. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, Ryan, Sean, if if you if you guys hear this, I I, I love you both. I I appreciate you both, and I I hope to have you both back on on the podcast again very very soon. Now, like I said, this past weekend was WrestleMania weekend, and WrestleMania used to just be a one day event. It used to just be on Sunday. It used to just be a WWE thing. But over the past decade, maybe a little bit more than a decade, it's become this super big thing where it's not just WWE, but it's all sorts of other independent wrestling companies. They'll go to the city where WWE is hosting WrestleMania and they'll put on like wrestling shows throughout the week leading up to WrestleMania. I managed to go to WrestleMania week in New York back in 2019 and it was absolutely amazing i was sick as a fucking dog oh my god i was so sick for that trip but i had i had an absolute blast uh, my my co-host on my other podcasts josh him and i went down josh usually always goes for wrestlemania week anyways or at least wrestlemania weekend he's been going for years obviously the past couple of years because of covid neither of us have gone but yeah, 2019 in New York was was my first time going and we were we were supposed to go to WrestleMania 36 in Tampa in 2020 just before the pandemic hit. Uh we had made our plans, booked our trip and everything cuz we were going to do WrestleMania cuz it was in Tampa and then we were going to do 2 weeks in Orlando going to theme parks like Universal Disney Walt Disney World, Busch Gardens. And then of course COVID hit and everything got shut down so we didn't end up going but 2019 I was sick as a dog the entire week and I remember the night before I was supposed to leave for New York I ended up in hospital because I just felt so miserable I ended up getting diagnosed with pink eye which is not really strong And I remember asking the doctor, I'm like, Doc, I'm supposed to be going to New York for a trip in less than 24 hours. Like, am I still going to be able to go? And he's like, yeah, 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 it's fine. Pink eye, pink eye is not, contag- not contagious like everyone thinks it is. I'll give you some eye drops. Just take the eye drops. You should be good to go. And on top of the pink eye, I also had just an absolutely terrible cold. Coughing, sneezing just absolutely terrible time like when we weren't at wrestling shows we were running around new york trying to go get to drug stores and stuff so i could get cough medicine because i went through a lot of fucking cough medicine of course post pandemic i wouldn't have even been allowed into the fucking country but fuck man i i i managed to go i i managed to get in even though i was super fucking sick and even though most of the time I felt like shit, I still had an incredible time in New York during WrestleMania week. Really wish I could have gone this year. It was in Dallas at AT&T Stadium. Really, really wish I could have gone. Josh and I have a lot of friends from the podcasting community down in Texas. And I know quite. I, I know a couple of them ended up going to WrestleMania, so it would have been great to go down and and hook up with them and and maybe just record like a mega podcast while we were down there. But unfortunately, things didn't work out, and we weren't able to go this year. But one and I don't want to make this all about wrestling, but I'm probably going to do a good chunk of wrestling on this episode because I know on on my previous episode. 
I talked quite a bit about Greektown Wrestling, the upcoming show here in Toronto on April 10th. And on one of the future episodes, I'm probably going to be doing an entire episode reviewing that show. Probably, not necessarily, but probably. So I don't want to just talk about wrestling all the time. But one of the big stories out of the WrestleMania weekend was the return of Cody Rhodes to WWE. For anyone out there that follows wrestling, you know the whole story with Cody Rhodes. If you don't follow wrestling, basically the he, he worked with WWE for a long, 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 long time. And then six years ago, he got his release from the company. He wasn't, he wasn't happy with his position in the company, wasn't happy with the character that they gave him at the time, Stardust. He wanted to, he wanted to prove he could do more. So he branched out. He did, he did quite a, uh, quite a number of independent promotions throughout Canada and the U.S. He was part of Impact Wrestling for a while. He fought with NWA and he won the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, which is a title his dad held at one point, the late, great Dusty Rhodes. He wrestled for ROH, where he was the ROH World Heavyweight Champion. He wrestled with New Japan, where he was a... Did he hold... Yeah. I'm pretty sure he held that that New Japan United States Heavyweight Championship. I'm pretty sure he did. But now I'm double question. Uh, now I'm second guessing myself, and I have to look this up. Give me, give me a sec. Yeah, he did. He 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 did win the United States Heavyweight Championship in New Japan. I thought so, but as I as I was initially saying it, I was double. I was I was question. I was second guessing myself and questioning it. I'm like, maybe he didn't actually win, but he did. He, he was also the tag team champion in a promotion here in Ontario in Hamilton at Alpha One. He was tag team champions with Ethan Page. Ethan Page is now in in AEW. So Cody did a lot of stuff, a lot of independence, a lot of other well-known promotions. He was a member of the Bullet Club. He had a huge feud with Kenny Omega where they ended up basically fighting to see who was the true leader of Bullet Club. But he did a lot of great stuff. He was able to break free from WWE, do his own thing, and be successful at it. And from going to New Japan and being a member of Bullet Club, he formed friendships with the Young Bucks and with Kenny Omega. And Dave Meltzer essentially sent out a tweet at one point about how Young Bucks and Kenny and Cody could probably put on a show and it would do well. Meltzer didn't think that it would be able to sell out a big arena, but that was a bet that Cody Rhodes was willing to take. Cody Rhodes bet on himself, the Bucks, and Kenny, and they put on a pay-per-view all-in with guys from Ring of Honor... Well, I shouldn't just say guys, but from, but with wrestlers, both men and women, from Ring of Honor and and New Japan, and they sold out in Chicago. It was a it was a huge huge success, and it directly led to the formation of All Elite Wrestling. I mean, they I don't think they I don't think they completely sold out the arena, but they sold a lot more tickets than anyone anticipated. I think. I think Meltzer expected them to sell at best 5,000 tickets. I don't have the tweet in front of me, so don't quote me on that exact number. And the announced attendance for that, for All In, was 11,263. But they did over 10,000, and that was more than what a lot of people were expecting, with 50,000 pay-per-view buys. So they did really strong. And again, it led to the formation of all elite wrestling. And you can make and you can accurately, if you want it to, make the argument that AEW is actually Cody Rhodes' baby. I know Tony Khan owns it. He backs it with his money. And he's 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 the principal owner, the booker, uh, everything like that. But without Cody Rhodes taking that bet that that him the Bucks and, and Omega could put on a pay-per-view and sell more than 10,000 tickets. AEW wouldn't be in existence. So Cody Rhodes helped create competition 
for WWE and Vince McMahon. Something that hasn't happened since the late 90s, early 2000s with WCW. Like real competition because TNA slash Impact Wrestling has never truly been competition with WWE. ROH has never truly been competition with WWE. New Japan took a long, long time to break through in North America. So they've never, in terms of North American wrestling, been competition with WWE. But Cody created this this thing that was a real that was real competition to to WWE. And he was an executive vice president that wasn't just a gimmick. He was legit an executive vice president with Nick Jackson, Matt Jackson, the Young Bucks, as well as Kenny Omega. And him and Cody and, and Tony Khan, the owner of AEW, ended up having a fallen out earlier this year, late last year, late 2021. And Cody Rhodes felt like his role, well, reportedly, Cody Rhodes felt his role as an executive vice president had been diminished. Cody, I believe, over the weekend has said that that he he won't come out and say the exact reason. He said him and him and he basically admitted that him and him and Tony had a fallen out, but he wouldn't he wouldn't say the reason. And he also said he's accomplished everything that he wanted to accomplish. I think the door is open, possibly, for Cody Rhodes to return in the future if he so desires. At least I think Cody's doing his best to leave a door open. I don't know, again, without knowing anybody personally involved and just reading rumors and speculation, I don't know the true story of what went on with Cody and Tony Khan and everybody else at AEW. So maybe people at AEW don't want Cody back. I don't know. But with the way Cody's been going around doing press since his return at WrestleMania night one on Saturday, it definitely seems like he's trying to say all the right things in order to keep his options open to return to AEW in the future. I do wish him success in WWE. I I was shocked to to see that he was allowed to keep his his entrance music and everything from AEW. I don't know if AEW just didn't have the rights to the music to begin with or if AEW allowed WWE to have the rights as sort of a sign of good faith to sort of have maybe a working relationship down the road. Cody has made it clear that he wants to win the WWE Championship, a title that his father never held. And it looks like Cody's going to get a push, at least in the in the immediate future. Long term, I don't know. I just feel like I feel like old habits, right? With with Vince, you always hear you always hear people say, and like the smart marks and the dirt sheets that once Vince sees somebody a certain way, that's all they're ever going to be. Right now, Vince sees Cody as a main eventer because he's the new shiny toy. He just got them from from competition. So I think Cody's going to get a push in the immediate future. I don't know what the length of Cody's contract is. I'm assuming three years. That seems to be what the standard contract usually is. So I'm assuming it's it's three years, but I have no idea. I don't think Cody's going to be a main eventer for the length of the contract. I could see Cody eventually becoming like Adolph Ziggler where he goes down to NXT 2.0 and he challenges for the NXT championship. I think he I, I think he'll get one run with the WWE championship. I don't know how long it's gonna be. I'm not even gonna speculate on that. I also think they will change Cody's music slightly. So here here's here's Cody's entrance song. Give me one sec. And again, I'm surprised I'm surprised he's allowed to have the same entrance song that he had in AEW. Again, I don't know what the deal is there. If if AEW actually owned the rights or if they just or if they did own the rights and they allowed WWE to use it in good faith. Like I said, I don't know. But here's Cody here's Cody's entrance song. Wrestling has more than one royal family.
So I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not gonna play it all the way. But there's that little spoken word intro right at the fr- at, right at the beginning. Wrestling has more than one royal family. I think that is eventually going to be cut. I think it's going to be the same thing as like Seth Rollins' old theme song because I I just think I I, I just think it's going to be too long of an entrance for for Vince McMahon and I think he's going to want to cut right to the right to the music. So give it a listen one more time. Wrestling has more than one royal family. So that's about 12 seconds. I think that's too long for, for Vince for entrances. I, I I think Vince at some point is going to cut that. Like I said, I think it's going to be reminiscent of Seth Rollins' old theme song. So here here's, here's Seth Rollins' original theme song, The Second Coming. Before they add it, burn it down. So here's Second Coming, the original version. So that was the original version. There was that little brief pause in between the instrumental of it, right? And again, I don't have the report in front of me, but I remember reading that Vince hated that pause. He just hated that pause and he needed something to be put in the in the place. So they updated the theme song and here's what the what the second edition of the second coming sounded like. So again, allegedly, Vince Vince McMahon hated the pause. It was not a fan of the pause. It wasn't he he felt the pause wasn't really strong. So he added the burn it down to Seth's entrance. And I think I think the same thing is gonna happen with Cody. I think even though it's not really a pause, it's just like this spoken intro. That takes up too much time without getting to the point of the entrance. And I think Vince is going to eventually cut that. I also think Vince is going to cut Cody's entrance. So for those of you who watch wrestling, you know that Cody's entrance, he comes up through the through the floor. He doesn't come out from behind the curtain like everybody else. He, he, he has a platform that raises and brings him up through the floor. He did that literally for every single entrance in AEW, and it just slowed things down so much. It's a cool entrance to have once in a while. Like if you're doing a big pay-per-view or you're fighting for you're fighting for a championship, that's an entrance that's really strong. But to do that, to do that entrance just to come out to the crowd to talk to them or just to have like a singles match where you know you're going to beat like a jobber, like it just becomes too much. And he got away with doing it every single time he came out on AEW. And I don't, I think Vince is going to put an end to that. He obviously allowed him to have the race platform entrance at WrestleMania. And so far... For the Raw after WrestleMania, he was allowed to have it again. But I don't think it's going to happen moving forward. Do I think they'll eliminate it completely? I think there's like a 95% chance that they completely remove it within the next couple of weeks and never let him use it. But I think more than likely, they'll keep it for big events. Like if he's fighting for a championship or if it is a WrestleMania or like a SummerSlam or a Survivor Series. But he's not gonna he's not gonna be doing it every week on Raw. It's it's just not really strong. And it's too time consuming. But I have talked for like thirty six minutes about wrestling. And I had absolutely no intention of talking about wrestling for this long. I I well, I mean, I think it's been about 20 to 25 minutes worth of wrestling talk because I also, you know, did the plugs and, and talked about Sean and, and Ryan. 
but I think it's been about 20-25 minutes worth of wrestling talk, which is a lot longer than I expected to talk about wrestling. So, I don't know if I'm going to wrap the episode up here. I might try to quickly find a video to watch on YouTube. I don't want to do a commercial again because I feel like I've done way too many commercials, but let me just quickly quickly see my recommended page on on youtube and see if there's anything that that strikes my interest that we can uh, maybe add an extra 10 15 minutes to this episode and and pad pad the uh pad the playtime a little bit all right okay Um, immediately there's one that looks really strong i'm a baseball fan so sports storm who does a lot of great work with baseball YouTube videos, just put out a video as of this recording. It says four hours ago, the 2022 Phillies experiment could break baseball. So let's see what this is. Grammarly helps you work more efficiently, which Fuck makes you, accomplishing your work goals easier. I know he uh, had a few at-bats on the backfield yesterday. He hit a homer, went deep. 3-2. Fly ball, shallow. Right center. Now we're talking about uh, the defense of the Phillies. So right now it's showing the Philadelphia Phillies playing a lot of poor defense. Defense wins championships. A statement from legendary college football coach Bear Bryant. But what does it mean exactly? Well, the full quote from Coach Bryant is offense sells tickets, defense wins championships. In my opinion, this doesn't necessarily imply one is more important than the other. Rather, you need both to win the ultimate prize. I'm really glad Sports Storm showed that full quote because I didn't know the full quote before. No one ever brings up that full quote, but I'm glad Sports Sports Storm did. Really strong move. So how true is this in baseball? Well, among the 76 teams who have made the playoffs since the beginning of the StatCast era, only seven of them did it with a negative team DRS and UZR. Two of the most commonly used it. So... DRS is defensive run saved. UZR is one that I'm not overly familiar with, so I'm not exactly sure what UZR stands for, but they have they have a quote up here, so let me read the quote and see if maybe it tells us. DRS is comparable to UZR in terms of methodology. Example, the use of zones for evaluating defensive success rates and results. There are some slight differences between the two systems. So DRS and UZR will occasionally disagree on how to rate certain players, but they agree more often than they disagree. The differences between the two systems are, are smaller than they seem at first glance. Both systems have the same goal, estimate a player's defensive worth in units of runs, and both rely on hit location and type data from Baseball Info Solutions. The differences lie in the various adjustments and calculations that are made. For example, defensive runs saved uses a rolling one-year basis for the plus-minus system, while UZR uses several years of data to determine each play's difficulty level. DRS also includes components to measure pitcher and catcher defense. And that is from the Fielding Bible. Advanced defensive metrics. So how did these teams make the playoffs? Well, most of them produced above average OPS plus and ERA plus numbers, apart from a few 2020 teams, also known as the season where more than half the league made the playoffs. So considering these numbers, can the 2022 Phillies make the playoffs? Yeah, the the 2020 season was only 60 games because it was cut short due to COVID and they had additional playoff teams, which my... My Toronto Blue Jays benefited from, thankfully. Baseball is expanding playoffs again this year officially. So it's going to be 12 teams. Is it 12 teams? Yeah, 12 teams. And so a couple of extra teams are going to be able to make the playoffs this year and moving forward, which hopefully will benefit the Blue Jays because last year they finished fourth in their division with 91 wins. To put it in perspective... They had nine, the Blue Jays had 91 wins in 2021 and missed a playoff spot by one game, whereas the eventual World Series winners from the National League, the Atlanta Braves, had fewer wins than the Blue Jays and won the championship while the Blue Jays sat at home throughout the playoffs. So 
I'm really hoping the Blue Jays benefit from the extra playoff team this year. I'm hoping it really, I'm hoping the extra playoff team doesn't matter because I'm hoping the Blue Jays just win the division completely, but we'll have to see how it plays out. Well, the 2021 team was not only among the league's worst in DRS and UZR, they were below league average in OPS Plus and ERA Plus. In the past couple weeks, the Phillies committed to paying the luxury tax for the first time in team history with the signings of Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber, who both produced poor defensive numbers in 2021. In particular, Castellanos, since moving to the outfield in 2018, has been arguably the worst defensive outfielder in baseball. With these moves, the Phillies have doubled down on their offense-first approach and are likely heading towards a historically bad defensive season. The question is, will this experiment work? As of April 3rd, the Phillies are entering the season with a 64.5% chance of making the playoffs. Wow. The sixth highest odds in the National League. I didn't realize Based on their the odds were that high. Playoff spots, this gives the Phillies the final National League wildcard spot. Considering the Phillies entered the 2021 season with a 16.1% chance of making the playoffs, they must be in a much better spot. Well, the Phillies do have the National League MVP on their team, Bryce Harper. The top of the lineup will likely feature the team's newest signings. Schwarber and Castellanos. It's a toss-up on which of these players sees more time in left field instead of DH, but they are huge upgrades over Andrew McCutcheon. These signings, along with Harper, are the only trio who will play on the same team in 2022 to each have a WRC plus over 140 in 2021. Looking at the rest of the WRC plus is weighted runs created plus. I don't know how they calculate that. Again, there's so many new calculations in baseball from when I first started watching in, in the 80s and 90s. I try to keep up as best as I can, but I watch a lot of these YouTube videos from people like SportsStorm, like Jolly Olive, like Foolish Baseball that do a lot better job of explaining all the advanced stats and everything. So I have a better understanding, but I'm still not 100% on everything. But I do know that WRC is weighted runs created. And the 2021 numbers for Harper was a 170 WRC plus. He was first. I don't know if these are based on first in the majors or first in the National League. Schwarber had a 145 WRC plus, which was 10th overall. And Cassianos had a 140 WRC plus which was tied for 14th overall. WRC Plus over 140 in 2021. Looking at the rest of the projected lineup, the Phillies clearly got some run producers. If Gene Segura and Reese Hoskins can stay healthy for the entire season, that'll make a huge difference. And while JT Real Muto slightly regressed offensively, he's still one of the best catchers in baseball, a crucial aspect to the success of this team. After those... So the slash line for for Riamoto, I, I, I'm sorry, I know I mispronounced that. I, I fuck up his name all the time. The slash line for him in, in 2021 was 134 games played, a 263 average, 343 on base, 439 OPS, 17 home runs, 73 RBIs, and 110 OPS plus. Defensively, he's still one of the best catchers in baseball, a crucial aspect to the success of this team. After those guys, the lineup gets a bit questionable. Didi Gregorius's 2021 season was not only oh, his worst shit, I keep forgetting that Gregorius but defensively is on as well. Phillies. However, the biggest X factor is third baseman Alec Bohm. His first full season after a successful 2020 season was a huge disappointment. But considering Bohm is only 25 and is a former top 30 prospect, it's not impossible to see some sort of resurgence, which makes this lineup even deeper. If not, Philly's top prospect, Bryson Stott, could find himself on the roster very soon. However, even with all of this offense, the defense could be its downfall. Looking at the 2021 team positional rankings, not including pitcher or catcher, the three main advanced defensive analytics show only two positions where the Phillies were consistently averaged defensively, second base and center field. Considering the major signings the Phillies made were not signed for their defense, it's clear the Phillies pitchers are in for a tough time. 
However, this is a dilemma that President of Baseball Operations Dave Dombrowski heavily considered in the early offseason. The Phillies didn't have the luxury to look for both offense and defense without going deep into the luxury tax, so they're going to have to hope that their players at least somewhat improve their defense. Interestingly, Dombrowski does have some history with this sort of dilemma. About a decade ago when he was running the Tigers organization, the 2013 and 2014 Tigers were two of the worst defensive teams to make the playoffs since the invention of the DRS statistic back in 2003. What was the key? incredible hitting and pitching. The 2013 Tigers seemingly had it all figured out. That's what happens when you have the MVP and Cy Young winners on the same team, and the talent beyond those guys was equally as impressive. While the 2014 Tigers weren't as successful on the pitching side due to injuries and regression, the lineup was the best in the league by a wide margin. Considering the 2021 Phillies defensive numbers, this seems to be the model the Phillies are going for. A deep lineup and a solid pitching staff. Obviously, building a team on paper can only take you so far. The twenty, yeah, I mean, there's they have they have starters. I'm not I'm not too sure about about the Phillies bullpen though. Brad Hand, who uh, as a Jays fan, I never want to see Brad Hand on my team again. But I would love to face Brad Hand and watch my team tee off on him. As somebody who's been watching the Mets over the last couple of years. The Phillies recently, uh, the Phillies got Drees Familia, a former Met who's uh, a heart attack reliever. He can be really, really good when he's on, and he can be really, really, really bad when he's not. So I, I, I sort of question the Phillies bullpen. Their starters should be fine. Their, their bullpen might be an Achilles heel for them. Not a really strong bullpen. 2021 Phillies were expected to be a good offensive team, only to finish the year as average at best. So how was the pitching? In general, it was a slightly below average pitching staff. Zach Wheeler was a Cy Young candidate, and Ranger Suarez came out of nowhere and pitched great in the rotation. As for the rest of the rotation, it was suspect. Aaron Nola and Zach Eflin both regressed pretty significantly, as well as Kyle Gibson after being traded by the Rangers. I think Noel will bounce back in 2022, to be honest. I, I really do. I could be proven wrong, but I do think Aaron Noel is going to have a bounce back year. But if you take a look at their FIPS, the Phillies defense clearly played a huge part in these underwhelming stats. In fact, the Phillies were the... So FIP is field, fielding independent pitching? Something like that. I, I don't have it exactly right. But basically, it's what, they're, it's what a pitcher's ERA should be. Independent to how they pitch take away all the other factors like like defense how, how how what would the pitcher's era be if it wasn't for either really really good defense saving them or really really bad defense letting them down wheeler's actual era was 2.78 his fip was 2.59 so his era was really good and his fip was even better Suarez had a 1.36 ERA, so a really amazing ERA regardless, and a 2.72 FIP. So Suarez was actually saved by defense. It looks like it, it looks like defense only came out to play when when Suarez was pitching. Kyle Gibson, who pitched in only 12 games with the Phillies after coming over from Texas. 5.09 actual ERA, but a 4.04 FIP. So without the without bad defense, his ERA would drop of more than one point, just over a point. Aaron Nola, 4.63 ERA last year, but his FIP had him at 3.37. So again, defense let Nola down, and Eflin. 4.17 ERA, but a 3.68 FIP. So yeah, de defense outside of outside of Suarez, I don't know why the defense was so great for Suarez, but outside of him, defense was really, really bad for the Phillies. The Phillies the defense Phillies clearly played a huge part in these underwhelming stats. In fact, the Phillies were the only team in 2021 with a combination of a team ERA plus under 100 and a team FIP under 4.2, a number better than league average. The Phillies did make some much needed signings for the bullpen, 
like Corey Knebel, Jury's Familia, and Brad Hand. Mm. But it still might not be enough for a bullpen. Again, having watched Familia and Brad Hand and with a starting on teams that I enjoy, the same as last season, mm. this team is Philly taking a big them. risk with their season plans. Wheeler, Nola, and Suarez have the potential to be a great trio with Gibson and Eflin in the back end. But these hopes just as easily could collapse, ruining any potential playoff chances. Obviously, this team is trying to win a World Series. That's what every team is trying to do. Well, you know, unless you're the Pirates. Regardless, <laughs> the fact that not many teams with or the, the same Marlins. defensive struggles as the 2021 Phillies or have the Reds, made the playoffs in the past 20 Jesus. years or the means making a World Series could be nearly impossible. Since Created by oh, the Emmy-winning writer from Schitt's Creek. What if Juliet didn't kill herself? That should almost be the start of the play. Since 2003, the worst team to win the World Series in terms of defensive runs saved was the 2004 Red Sox. Holy shit. The, the 2004 Red Sox had a negative 26 DRS. Jesus. Behind them were the 2009 Yankees with a negative 22. 2003 Marlins with negative 21 and the 2011 Cardinals with a negative 5. The 2021 Phillies were more than two times worse defensively. I understand I'm placing a lot of weight on the DRS stat considering some recent world champions have had a positive team DRS and a negative OAA or UZR. But the problem is that the Phillies were negative in all three in 2021. I have no idea what OAA is. Winner with a negative and I'm not team DRS. Gonna take the time to the look 2011 into it Cardinals. At this moment. The last team to even make the World Series with a negative team DRS was the 2015 Mets. Interestingly, the Mets won their division while the Cardinals were a wildcard team. So there is always the possibility of the Phillies finding themselves in a wildcard spot courtesy of expanded playoffs. And once a team is in the playoffs, anything can happen. The 2021 Braves were the worst division winners in baseball, but that didn't stop them. Also, consider this. If there were expanded playoffs in 2021, 88 wins for the Braves last year the World Series champions. Three fewer wins than my Blue Jays who missed the playoffs. I digress. I, I, I don't hate Atlanta. I have a lot of fan, I have a lot of friends on Twitter who are from Atlanta or are Atlanta Braves fans. So I have nothing against Atlanta, but I'm just pissed that this is the second time that the Blue Jays missed the playoffs, but had a better record than the eventual World Series winner. It happened in 2006 as well. I believe the Jays had 87 wins that year, maybe 88. And the St. Louis Cardinals, who won the World Series in 2006, only had 83 wins. They had at least four, maybe five wins less than the Blue Jays. Blue Jays sat at home and missed the playoffs. The Cardinals won the World Series. I, I fucking hate the division alignments so fucking much. But I digress. Anyways, let's let's continue watching this video that I know SportsStorm has worked very, very hard on. One, the Phillies would have missed the playoffs by only one game. They aren't as far away as some may think. Still, to win a World Series with this team, with their projected defensive outlook, would be unprecedented. The Phillies are a very talented team in some aspects, but a very flawed team in others. The, the Phillies are is, not a really How are they going team. to overcome and improve upon these flaws? Well, specifically in the outfield, outfield coach Paco Figueroa wants to keep everything basic. With all of the analytics and information cards that fielders check before each at bat, Figueroa believes the basics of keeping the ball in front of the body and making the routine plays will be enough for the team to succeed. There's a quote, there's a couple of things highlighted here by SportsStorm from an article, and I'm sorry, I don't know where the article is from, but basically what SportsStorm has highlighted here is that Figueroa wants the Phillies to focus on the basics. Keeping the ball in front of them, making the plays that should be made are all the Phillies and Figueroa want. Quote Figueroa, I don't give them positioning cards until the last three games of spring training. Infield coach Bobby Dickerson believes defense is all about attitude and focus. In essence, the controllable things are what matters. He respects the analytics, but it's his job to coach the players who produce those stats. 
So I don't know if this is from the same article or a different article, but what SportsStorm has highlighted here is, so not surprisingly, Dickerson isn't interested in the metrics. He's aware of them. He respects them. But his job isn't to change those numbers. It's to coach the humans who produce them. That does not sound too promising to me. Sounds like somebody that's old in the game that doesn't want to adapt to the change and and new data. Like I said, there's a lot of new stats out there that have come out in the last 20 or so years that weren't around when I first started watching the game. And I don't know all the stats but I'm doing my best to educate myself on them to give me at least a a basic knowledge of them. A coach coming out right and saying that he is aware of them, but he's he's basically not interested in them. That's uh, that sounds like it's going to be a downfall for the for the Phillies, if I'm being honest. But that's just my opinion. Every game is different. I try to look at what's happening within that game, and we try to attack that as it comes. Castellanos and Schwarber know their role is to crush baseballs, but that doesn't mean they can't be competent fielders too, even though they won't be in the outfield every day. The Phillies are starting off the season with higher playoff odds than at any point in the 2021 season, but there are many ways this- So their their playoff odds, which was mentioned earlier at the beginning of this video, their playoff odds for 2022, as of April 4th, 2022, is 62.6%. Their peak playoff odds in 2021, and I don't know when in 2021 this was, but their best playoff odds in 2021 was 56.7%. Experiment could play out. By the end of the regular season, the Phillies could be hitting their way into the playoffs or sitting in mediocrity like in 2021. For this to work, the Phillies not only have Dombrowski's old Tigers teams to look at for inspiration, but they also have an old blueprint from a decade ago. The 2011 Phillies. Lines it to straightaway center. Torres on the run. He's not going to get there. Watch this one roll. Ugly around second. Hang it third. Sawmire's going to wave him. Fontenot's throw to the plate. This 102-win squad was very similar defensively to the 2021 team, but the pitching staff essentially outpitched. 102-win squad was very similar defensively to the 2020. So the 2011 Phillies had a negative 56 DRS, which was 28th in all of Major League Baseball. 2021 Phillies had a negative 54 DRS, which was last in Major League Baseball. One team, but the pitching staff essentially outpitched their defensive woes. So the team ERA plus for 2011, I'm assuming this is 2011, yeah, 2011, was 127. So basically, ERA plus takes uh, pitchers' ERA and adjusts it for for ballparks and and stuff like that. So 100 is an average ERA plus. Anything above 100 is good, and then obviously anything below 100 is bad. So the Phillies ERA Plus was 127, so they were 27% better than the average team ERA. That was good for first in the majors. Their team their team FIP was 3.24, again, first in the majors. They had Roy Halladay, God rest his soul, RIP Doc, Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, uh, Worley, and Roy Oswalt. Halliday pitched 32 games, had a 163 ERA plus and a 2.20 FIP. Cliff Lee, 32 games pitched, 160 ERA plus, 2.60 FIP. Hamels, 32 games, 137 ERA plus, 3.05 FIP. Worley, 25 games, 127 ERA plus, 3.32 FIP. And Oswalt, 23 games pitched, 104 ERA plus, 3.44 FIP. Halliday's numbers, though, man. Fuck, Halliday was just on another level on, on or sorry, in 2011. And again, God rest his soul. One of the best pitchers in, in Blue Jays history. I, 
I will always have love in my heart for Roy Halladay. And my heart will always believe that Roy Halladay should have gone into the Hall of Fame with the Blue Jays logo on his hat instead of just a blank hat, not representing any team. He he was he, he should have gone in as a Blue Jay, but that's just my personal bias, and my heart will always believe that. As that starting rotation was one of the best of the 21st century, along with their great pitching. Their offense was good enough, sitting just slightly below league average. Luckily, they don't need to win 102 games in 2022 to make the playoffs, but for this experiment to work, the offense needs to be at least top three in the league, and the pitching staff needs to sit around league average. Easier said than done, but this is the path the Phillies chose. The Phillies could have signed a couple defense first players instead of Castellanos or Schwarber, but the Phillies felt this was the better path. The pitching will be tested, the offense will be heavily relied upon, and the defense will be scrutinized. There's a very thin margin for error. If done right, this experiment could break baseball, but it could also break the Phillies. I hope you guys enjoyed the video. Leave a like if you did, and subscribe for more content just like this. Thanks for watching. So another another great video by Sportstorm. Sportstorm always knocks it out of the park. Really, really strong job. Always enjoy watching Sportstorm stuff. Again, other great YouTube baseball content creators. Foolish Baseball, Jolly Olive, Secret Base, just to name a few. Oh my God, Secret Base. If you have not watched the four-part Dave Steep documentary that Secret Base is doing... You need to do it. They've released three out of four episodes so far. The fourth one, I believe, will release on Tuesday, April the 12th. I believe. I'm not 100% sure. But by the time this episode comes out, the fourth episode of, of Secret Base's Dave Steve documentary should, mini documentary, should be available to watch. So if you're a baseball fan, definitely go to YouTube and check that out. It is so good. Like, I grew up watching the tail end of Dave Sieb's career. I kn I I was a big fan of Dave Sieb. I knew a lot of stuff about Dave Sieb, but Seeker Base goes so in-depth and covers stuff that I didn't even know about. As a Blue Jays and a Dave Sieb fan, they did a really, really great job. So definitely check them out. Check that series out. They also did an incredible series on the Seattle Mariners. I can't remember if it was last year or in I think it was in 2020. But again, that was that was a really well done mini series, mini documentary. I think it was like seven episodes, which ended up totaling about four hours altogether. But it's so good, so worth the watch. Secret Base just does so so much good, so many good videos. I can't I can't sing their praises enough. Again, same with same with Jolly Olive. Same with Foolish Baseball. And there's a bunch of other ones out there that are escaping my memory right now. I've had a couple too many Palm Bays and my memory is not really strong right now. But if you're a sports, if you're a baseball fan, definitely check those guys out. I did manage to break the one hour mark, so I'm going to wrap it up. If you guys made it this far in the episode, I thank you very, very much for sticking around. Like I said at the beginning, if you're listening to this, obviously you've you found this and you have a particular platform that you're listening to this on. But I would greatly appreciate it if you let others know about this show and let others know where you can find this podcast. This this podcast is available, like I said, on most major podcast platforms, including but not limited to Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and of course the main source of uploading is Podbean drunkdiscussions.podbean.com if you want to check out the merch or even buy some merch to help support the podcast you can go to shop.spreadshirt.com backslash drunk discussions if you want to make a one-time donation you can go to paypal.me backslash drunk discussions if you want to follow the show on social media you can find the show on tiktok twitter and instagram at drunk podcast you can find it on Facebook by going to facebook.com backslash drunk discussions. Again, if you made it this far, I can't thank you enough. I do appreciate everybody that listens to this episode. 
I appreciate any feedback that you have, good or bad, as long as it's constructive criticism. Don't just be like, you suck, go fuck yourself, that sort of thing. But if you have constructive criticism on how you think I can improve the show, definitely, definitely leave a comment and and let me know. Having said that, whether you are listening to this in the morning, the afternoon, the evening, whatever time of day it is where you are when you're listening, I appreciate you listening. I thank you for listening. And I will talk to you again very, very soon. Bye-bye.